It's that time. Everything and anything basketball, presented by The Outrage. With Cajun Furitani Castleman and host Spencer Byers, this is Polar Opposites. Welcome, everyone. Episode 25 of Polar Opposites. Spencer Byers, Cajun, Firu, Thanny Castellum, and big day, regular schedule programming, some big wins last night. Celtics on the other end of the big win for the Philadelphia 76ers, taking that top spot in the East. Raptors get a big win over Dallas. Yakim having easily his best night of the season. But let's start off with the game happening tonight here on Thursday. New Mexico City is going to be getting a game. And, I, of course, I mean not New Mexico City, pardon me. I mean Mexico City in Mexico. So for the first time, the at least the first time in a while, I won't say first time ever because I bet you they have been games down, down south, even farther south. The Orlando mm-hmm. Magic and the Atlanta Hawks are going to be playing in Mexico City. And the NBA has intimated that there could be a uh, a expansion team, pardon me, going down to Mexico City. They currently have a G League team, and they're seeing if they are a viable option to harbor a new NBA team. And you'd think that every other major league Cajun's got 32 teams. The NHL's just got 32 teams. The NFL's got 32 teams. I believe baseball's got 32 teams. I feel like I'm right in saying that, or they only have 30. Trying to, try to do the quick math in my head, Cage, and I think I may be wrong. I know it's either 30 or 32 in baseball. I think it's 30. I, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll quickly go look, but regardless, NBA has 30. 30. It's 30. It's, is 30? It's, it's 30. Well, they're the sport that's dying, so we'll leave baseball to itself. No offense to baseball, by the way. But anyway, so if Mexico City is added. They'll obviously have added the Western Conference, which would then mean that an Eastern Conference team has to be added to even out the conferences of 16 and 16 and have a 32-team league. So, Cage, do you like the idea of them going to Mexico City? Because I'll be honest, I love it. As I talked about with the WNBA, I love when sports leagues say, we're going to be the first ones to go. Like when the when the NFL said we're going to go to Vegas, we're going to send Oakland to Vegas and become the Las Vegas Raiders. The NHL said, whoa, whoa, okay, then we're going to make the Vegas Golden Knights get there the year before because we do not want to compete with the NFL in our opening season. Because if the NHL team sucks and the Raiders are okay, the Raiders are going to pull way bigger numbers than Vegas. So they put the Vegas Golden Knights in. They have an amazing cup run in their you know, in their very first season as an NHL franchise, and they've been competitors ever since, winning their first Stanley Cup last season after, I believe, what, four, maybe four years in the NHL. So, mm-hmm. you know, I am completely for the NBA expanding to Mexico, being the first major league to put a team in Mexico or a Central American country. I know that's not a continent, but still in a, in a country that we would not normally think would get a North American team. Because we say North American sports when it's basically just the just the United States and maybe a Canadian team. NHL's got seven, baseball's got one, basketball's got one, NFL's got none. So it's nice to see Mexico finally getting a team. Looks like you know in 
making that implication that maybe Mexico City could become an option cage. But before I move on to my, my, my next question after this, we'll start with it. What do you think about the NBA going to Mexico City? And if a team, do you think a team could work in Mexico? I don't know if a team can work in Mexico now. Like, but within five years, I can easily see that happening. And the NBA wants themselves to, wants to globalize the game. What better way to have it than to have, have it in Mexico? And they already have a G League team. Um, there's already traction there in Mexico City. Atlanta and Orlando, Atlanta and Orlando, the game that's going to be played tonight, has a ton of intrigue to it because you know Trey Young, Dejounte Murray, and Orlando is a sneaky good plucky team, especially on the defensive end. They're third in defensive rating. Um, so it's not like it's a bad matchup for fans to watch in Mexico. And it'll bring awareness to the game. And honestly, like that's kind of what the NBA needs. Um, because the product of the game has kind of like dwindled down, like in terms of watchability. And adding another country to the mix will just spice things up a bit. That it could, but Cage, the next question to ask after the Mexico City expansion, if, so we're just going to take the application. So say Mexico City gets a team and they're the 31st team in NBA history. Does, who is the Eastern Conference team to be added? Who gets added? Did the Supersonics get added and they moved into the East? I would say no. Okay, well, if it's not the Supersonics, then is another Canadian team added? Not maybe it's Vancouver, but maybe it's Quebec City or Montreal get a team. And no, I'm not implying that either of those two light locations are viable. But we obviously have seen basketball work here in Canada, and it's getting even bigger here in Canada. And think about if a Montreal team became a thing. Imagine the rivalry between Montreal and Toronto. Mm-hmm. But where do you think the NBA could go for one more Eastern Conference team? If they were to add New Mexico, or add, pardon me, I keep saying New Mexico, Mexico City. If they add Mexico, where do you think they could add the next Eastern Conference team to even out at 32? I'm just trying to think how this would work. Because the problem, in my opinion, with the East, and the NHL does this too, is because there's so many teams in like the Pennsylvania, New York, you know, the, the very East Coast area that it's so hard to fit another team in there, right? Like, if you look at the Metropolitan Division in hockey, you have eight teams that are genuinely in driving distance of each other in a giant just circle. The NBA, you know, relatively the same. So you have to really think, you know, where could you fit a team that doesn't take away from another market? Like, you already got two New York, New York teams. You already got Philadelphia. You already got Toronto and Boston. Then you've got Milwaukee, Indiana, Cleveland, Chicago, and Detroit. So that's Michigan. That's in, pardon me, that's the state of Indiana. That's that's Wisconsin. You've already got Ohio, Illinois, and then you've got Atlanta, which is 
like basically the border between the south and the north in Georgia. Orlando, which is Florida, which usually gets lumped in with the East Coast teams. Miami, Charlotte, who you could argue could be a Western Conference team, I'd say. Well, they're because they're south. And you got Washington. So where does that team fit in? Like, could you argue Minnesota comes over to the east and then you put in Seattle and it just add two Western Conference teams and move a Western Conference team to the east? That would make the most plausible sense. Because, like, I'm but, just trying to think of, of other locations, Cage, because, like, you, you know I'm an advocate for Alabama to get something. If it's Birmingham versus Tuscaloosa, um, if maybe – I'm not going to say Montana could because they're probably also the Western Conference. But, you know, it's hard to fit another team. Like, could the could an NBA team survive in, like, Columbus? where Ohio State are, where the Blue Jackets are. Um, would you say Cincinnati could get another team back? Because they've had a team in the past. They do have precedent. Cincinnati was a team that was on my mind. So it's – because, again, the East is so cramped with where teams are. It is really interesting to think about where one more team could be added. That's why I think Montreal could be a great shout. If they could have the ownership, if they could have the building, if Montreal would be a place where everything has to be right, right ownership, right building, right time. And I don't think they have any one of those three things right now. But I feel like if Montreal thought they could get a team, I would not be surprised if Montreal or Quebec City, but more likely Montreal, would try to put in a bid, implying the NBA was looking for another Eastern Conference team to even out the, the conferences at 16 each. Well, the basketball talent in Montreal is very underrated there in Quebec City, especially in Montreal. Um, and if you want to talk about something, talk about globalizing the game, what better way to do it than put it in and have a franchise from Quebec City or Montreal? Um, is it plausible to do it given given the reasons you just stated? Not right now, but. If they can figure it out, if they can figure it out a stadium, if they can figure out the log- logistics, there might be a second. You could very well see a second Canadian team in this league. And wouldn't it be a sight to see if they get the Montreal versus Toronto rivalry? Mm-hmm. Back to Toronto, Cajun. The Raptors were able to beat the Dallas Mavericks last night. They were able to get a big win. With, I like quickly scan for the score, 127 116 win over the Mavs. Only the Mavs' second loss of the season. They also swept the Texas road trip with that win. And Pascal Siakam led the way cage, had 31 points, 12 rebounds, and five assists, shooting 60% from the field. He did go over five from three, which means he shot even better from inside the arc. Siakam's first real good game this season, cage. Do you think this may be? Maybe a turning point for him in this season. Maybe this is finally him kind of making that leap to get back to form. I think you can easily say it's his best game of the season. And he was assertive. He was aggressive. Uh, An aggressive prep, Pascal Siakam, makes the Raptors even more dangerous. Um... 
And I think offensively, this is what should be expected from the Raptors. They, they were, I believe there was like five players that scored in double digits. Um, Gary Trent Jr., another guy who's really struggled offensively to start off. Um, he had a, he had a great game, 16 points, and was efficient from the field. Dennis Schroeder, been his been his most effective self once again. OG Hananobi, he had seven threes last game against San Antonio, had another efficient game. Scotty Barnes didn't shoot the ball efficiently, but 14. As I look at this. He may have shot four or 15 from the field and had 14 points, but 14 rebounds, seven assists, four steals, two blocks, no turnovers. So he's doing other stuff aside from that. Malachi Flynn hit some big shots in that third and fourth, like bridging the third and fourth quarters to kind of give the Raptors separation from Dallas. And Boucher had some good minutes too. Everybody, like, I feel like with every game you see the Raptors do something a little bit better than the, than the previous. The only sort of game in which they kind of fell flat was at Philly, but yet that was the second game of a back-to-back, a tough back-to-back might have had after beating Milwaukee. Um, but that I wouldn't say it's a statement win like the Milwaukee one because even though Dallas is 6-2, and two, they got their first loss at home. Dallas has also played some subpar teams and haven't looked really good as of late. Um, but a win's a win, especially sweeping a Texas two-games Texas trip. You found something... You, you've, you show character and resiliency in coming back from a 22-point deficit against San Antonio. And then you pretty much dominate from the second quarter onwards against a good, against a Dallas team that's good at home. Um, so, yeah, like, these rappers are getting better each and every game. And... There's going to, like I said before, there's going to be some growing pains under a new roles, but when they do, when when they do figure it out, oh, they'll figure it out. And last night was just a glimpse of what it looked like when it all, if it all came together offensively. One name you mentioned that I I wanted to actually ask you about Malachi Flynn. He obviously was one of the poster boys of guys who have struggled in Toronto under Nick Nurse. Past three seasons, haven't seen much development, hasn't been able to hit shots, has been able to be an effective player on arguably the worst bench in basketball in Toronto to the point where Fred Van Vliet averaging the most minutes a night, Pascal Siakam averaging top five minutes in all of the NBA. I think Gary Trent Jr. and Scotty Barnes also top 10, top 15 minute munchers in the NBA because of the lack of depth the Raptors had, or at least the trust Nick Nurse had in that bench. 
Malachi Flynn this month is averaging 3.25 assists, meaning he has he has four assists out of three games this month. That's in four games. He has mm-hmm. also been shooting the ball really well from the three-point line, shooting 50% from behind the arc. Obviously not shooting a lot because he's not playing a lot, but is this at least showing that Malachi Flynn under uh, Darko Ryakovich uh, is improving and is showing that maybe he is not going to be a player that can be uh, a starter for, for the Toronto Raptors, but maybe he's finally showing that he can be an effective bench player for the Raptors, which is really what they needed to be. I can easily see that. Um, and it looks like he's shown spurts of it, like today, eight points, four rebounds, four assists, and, a plus, and more importantly, a plus seven off the bench. More importantly, the guys that played, aside from Grady Dick, who was neutral, was a plus on the floor. And that's all you really want from your bench. It's just it's just kind of unfortunate because he's going to be forever aligned with the fact that the Raps could have gotten Desmond Bain, who went one pick after him. Well, so could the Celtics. It was the Celtics draft pick that got him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just such a shame that like he's showing flashes of like good play now when given the chance. And you got to credit head coach Darko Ryakovich. He's he's empowered this team. He's empowered this team and more Flynn because no disrespect to Nick Nurse, but you never saw that. You never saw that aside from the starters. Mm-hmm. And guys are not going to play at their most optimal or at their best if one, they don't get the opportunity and two, their own coach doesn't believe in them. Um, case, in po- case in point, the fluctuating minutes of Chris Boucher. Um, Gary Trent Jr. at times, like starting, coming off the bench, starting, coming off the bench. He might have, he, he may be struggling to start off the season, but at least he's got, at least there's, there's a role. It's just he has to adjust to that role. So, and I think I kind of wish this has been great for Malachi. This is, I'm happy for Malachi Flynn because he's proven that he can be an effective player. Whether it's starting off the bench, he's proven that he can be an effective ball player. Now, can he be part of the Raptors' future plans moving forward? It remains to be seen. But the only thing he can do right now is get them good minutes, hit his open shots, move the ball around, and be smart and play hard-nosed, unselfish, smart basketball. And right now he's doing that. And it's showing... it, it. it's starting to show up on the stat sheet slowly but surely. And I'm really happy for him. I'm really happy for him because I kind of felt like he didn't have an opportunity, much of an opportunity to grow his game. But now he's finally getting that opportunity. Would it be too little, too late? Who knows? But he's showing he's showing a little bit of something in that, and you you just love to see that. It definitely makes you wonder if Nick Nurse wasn't the man 
at the helm when he was drafted, Malachi, what would have happened to his development? If it would have had this same trajectory or something may have changed. And again, three years for a young player is massive. That's basically his rookie deal, right? So mm-hmm. those three years are so important. And I truly think situation matters and and personnel matters. And, you know, saying Desmond Bain went one pick after Malachi Flynn, yeah, obviously. Would you rather have Desmond Bain now over Malachi Flynn? Obviously. But that doesn't necessarily mean Malachi Flynn and or Desmond Bain develop well with Nick Nurse. Maybe Nick Nurse also ostracizes Desmond Bain and doesn't develop properly. And Malachi Flynn flourishes in Memphis. Right. I mm-hmm. I don't really think it's apples to apples in, in those comparisons, but I do understand why, you know, as a, as a Bruins fan, I know when you draft and you have three straight first round picks and you miss basically all three, no offense to Jake DeBrusque, and the next three draft picks are all guys for all stars and really good hockey players. You know, you, you kind of wonder, you kind of wonder, like, hey, what would have happened if, you know, my team drafted those guys instead of this, bu- these bums. But, you know, you, you got to, you know, take the good with the bad and, you know, certain situations just work out for a reason. And. Hopefully Malachi Flynn can really propel this this good bench play into not necessarily starting for the Raptors, but becoming a solid contributor in the NBA, which I, I think I know I think I think he can as a fan of him at SDSU with the only defe- undefeated team before the season was shut down due to COVID. All those many moons ago, yes, that was his senior season at SDSU at San Diego State University, but. Mm. Um, before we get to college ball cage, some overtime wins. Sacramento beat the Portland Trailblazers in overtime, 121-118. The other overtime game last night, the Phoenix Suns beat the Chicago Bulls, 116-115. So, couple overtime games. And we'll talk about one more blowout before we go to the Celtics' sucking straight loss this season. The Houston Rockets. Gave the L.A. Lakers their lunch money. 128-94 win for the young Houston Rockets. Jalen Green led the way for Houston. 28 points and only 21 minutes of play, Cage. 5 for 6 from 3. He went 11 for 15 from the floor. And maybe, I'm not saying coming out party because we know how good of a scorer Jalen Green can be, but... You know, when you're playing against a team who thinks they should be in title contention and you got a guy like Fred Van Vliet who's got double digits assists, you got a guy like Jalen Green who's got 28 points in only 21 minutes of play, and you basically got the Houston or the Houston Rockets playing like half of the, over half of their bench in a game against the Lakers, and they're just killing them. You know, that is a massive surprise for a team that, again, expects to be in title contention. They were without Anthony Davis, in fairness. Data Davis was out with a um, hip spasm. Mm-hmm. But LeBron James played. He only played 27 minutes, had 18 points. D'Lo, uh, D'Angelo Russell had 22 points, shot 50% from the field. Rui Hachimura played fantastic. He was the leading, the he was led the way for the Lakers with 24 and 8. But Lakers just couldn't keep up with a, a Houston Rockets team that, with the free agent pickups of Fred Van Vliet and, and Dylan Brooks, they've been surprisingly good. After going 0-3 to start the year, they've won four straight now. And I don't think it's just, I don't think it's really just the additions of Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. Sure, tough, hard-nosed guys. Oh, by the way, by the way, it's making me smile that Memphis disrespected Dylan Brooks like that, but yet they while he's with the Rockets, they're thriving right now, and 
Memphis is just floundering. That's kind of putting a smile on my face. But anywho, but we kind of, it's kind of overlooked the job that Ime Udoka has been doing. Guys are being held accountable. Guys are playing hard, not only on offense, but on the defensive end too. And um, guys know their roles. Um, and Jalen Green playing next to like a, a point guard who can dish out the ball like Fred Van Vliet. And it's done wonder and it and it has done wonders thus far, like especially with this game being a big game for him. Now he's still not shooting the ball particularly well. Um but he also had a good game against Sacramento too. Twenty-three points, shot fifty-five percent from the field. This team this team has figured this out, figured it has bounced back from their slump real quick and they got tough 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 nose guys. Um they got a lot of depth to the point where like Ahmed Thompson doesn't play as often. I don't even think he played today. But yeah guys like that know their roles. Tari Tari Eason, welcome back. Made a big impact off the bench. Nine points, nine rebounds, two assists. Jay Sean Tate, who used to start, 14 points. And I think what's really unlocked this team is the fact that they have another playmaker on that team, Alperen Shingun. He's actually playing more. He's actually playing more because what was the issue last season was Sengun not being unleashed by Steven Silas. And or like his minutes being inconsistent. Like he'll play like 34 minutes one night, 22 minutes the next. And it's just like what could be. Um, but I think I think a really overlooked piece of this puzzle that the Rockets have is Ime Udoka and he's reminding everyone he's still a heck of a good coach. That he was in Boston before he his unceremonious exit from Boston last season when he set, was when he was suspended by the team for the entire season and Joe Mazzula took over and has never looked back since with the Celtics. And I want to move on to the Celtics cage, but I think there's one more thing I want to add. One more thing I want to add before we completely move on. Okay. I don't think we talked about this on Monday because I think it happened Monday night. So after we recorded on Monday, you and I were talking after the show and we were talking about, you know, I'll say some some bets and just talk about some some players we liked. And we're talking about some of the games and I'm trying to see if I can find it, Cage. Um, I believe it is well the nuggets i believe had one in their big comeback yeah julie uh julian strother rookie had 21 points off the bench for the denver nuggets shooting 60 basically 62 percent from the field so again rookies that have been making impacts and cajun you maybe you know hawkins jordan hawkins wait was he the pelicans is that where i'm getting that from yes 
Jordan Hawkins, in that loss to Denver for the Pelicans, led the way with 31 points. Who He shot 10 of 19 from the floor, 7 for 14 from the three-point land. That's 50% if you can't do the quick math. You know, it's great to see young guys doing really well, and those are two really good guards at their former programs in UConn for Hawkins, University of Connecticut, and Gonzaga for Strother. Both guys had great nights on Monday night. They really did, and um, opportunities knocking for these guys, and they're running with it. Hawkins, after after CJ McCollum is dealing with a lung issue, and now Strother is taking advantage of his opportunities with Jamal Murray being ruled out now for the rest of the month with a hamstring hamstring strain. So. These rookie, these rookies are just running with these opportunity. Oscar Thompson being another one with Boyan Bogdanovich out for weeks, he's really taking advantage of that opportunity, doing everything but scoring the ball consistently. Um, I kind of hope it's, I kind of hope Almond would get a bigger opportunity, but Houston's got a lot of good pieces around them. Um. But yeah, like, oh, <clears throat> Houston boy, uh, Houston Cougar, Marcus Sasser. He had a big game, 26 points. Um, with Jaden and I, with a lot of the Pistons backcourt out, um, a lot of the Pistons backward uh, backward out. He had 22 versus Phoenix on November 5th, and then last night, 26 points, 11 for 17, three of seven from downtown, six rebounds, two assists, one steal. So a lot of these rookies that don't necessarily that either have the pedigree or don't necessarily have, or even don't necessarily have the recognition. Brandon Miller filling filling in for admirably um, with the whole Miles Bridges situation. Like these guys are taking advantage of their opportunities, and you just love to see, you literally just love to see guys take their opportunities and run with it, because at the end of the day, when they run with it. They're going to have bigger roles in this league and make generational wealth for themselves and as well as their families. So, and I'll add on to that, Cage. When you get to watch them from college ball, and you get to say you watched a player for a couple of seasons at a program, if that's even though you get the the free one year transfer without losing a year of eligibility. Like Ryan Nephard just used brother of Andrew Nephard, both Canadian of Aurora, I believe, um, mm-hmm. moving from um, Crichton to Gonzaga. You know, it's so nice to watch guys like that and then get to watch them in the league and go, hey, I remember when he played for, you know, the Bulldogs or if he played for, say, Kentucky or Duke or one of the bigger programs or even some of the smaller programs like Obi Toppin when he played for that high-flying great Dayton team that never got to play the, the tournament because of COVID. 
You know, that tournament was going to be great, by the way, that that tournament that got struck out by COVID. I believe that was Rui Hachimura and Brandon Clark here. Was that the year after that Gonzaga team? I can't always remember because those two years do conflate for me just because, again, COVID, I think, messed up everybody's internal clocks of when things were previous. But anyway, we will not talk about the Celtics. We talked about it on Monday night, but Monday, Monday afternoon, before the game, the Celtics played against the Timberwolves. We talked about when the Celtics could get their first loss. Now coming into Thursday, they have two. They lost the Timberwolves in overtime, 114-109. It's a horrible overtime period. They then just lose last night to the 76ers in Philadelphia, 106-103. And two things rung true from those two games, Cage. The Celtics shot horribly. Both games, they shot 39% from the field and shot below 35% from three. And I'm checking to see if I can say below a certain number. Yes. So they shot 39% in both games from the field. They shot no more than 31% from three in both of those losses. So offensively, they were garbage in both of those games. And they still only lost by five in overtime and three respectively to one okay team in, in Minnesota and one really good team in, in Philly, in Philadelphia. So the Celtics are still a really good basketball team, but they got to find a way to get this shooting out of the key, this shooting staff food the last two nights out of their system because they can't really afford to shoot below 40% against a bunch of teams. So they're not going to win a whole lot of basketball games this year. Well, continue as again they had a five game winning streak to start the year with the last undefeated team in the NBA but you can't shoot 40% and expect to win every game like that's just that's not going to happen they got to find their way to get back to earlier form even just a few a week ago <laughs> three days ago I think what's puzzling to me is the fact that um well, maybe it wasn't to the same degree. Well, the thing that bothered <clears throat> the thing that bothered me with um, Minnesota down the stretch, with the Minnesota game down the stretch, there was no sort of rhythm or sets run offensively in that overtime period. The fourth quarter in overtime was basically here, here, Tatum. Have the ball do whatever and get up and try to get a bucket out of it. Or here, Jalen Brown, do whatever you want. And if it's just like my turn, your turn thing, that's easy for that's a lot easier for defenses to guard, especially with a team that is that is good as Minnesota is defensively. You're not gonna get away with that. You're not gonna get away with that. And the Celtics game. Yeah, they competed. Um, yeah, they competed. Yeah, they made things close despite shooting the ball horribly from the field, like below 40%. The thing that kind of irks me, more than half of their shot attempts were from were from downtown. That's kind of like shades of last season, shades of last playoffs when you rely too much on the three ball. And 
Sure, they made 15 threes, but they also shot 32% from behind the arc. Something's got to get, like, defense is honest. Like, if the three falls for you, then great. But it can't be the be-all for end-all because we've seen games from the Celtics last season in which they don't, if the three ball doesn't fall, it's not going to be a good night. And I've said I've said this before, and I and I'm probably going to say this throughout this entire season. Celtics by the end of the season, and and you know what, it is two straight losses, but it's also still growing pains because you're still you're incorporating a new identity and culture in place after trading away Marcus Smart, Robert Williams. You're incorporating new pieces with way more talent, but not a lot of chemistry in Drew Holiday and Chris Essersigu. So games like this are going to happen. Um, but they got at the end of the day, their offense has to be diversified. Not only through stretches of games, but also down the stretch of games. Because they did some good things against Minnesota offensively. And then they resorted to hero ball. And good team. And you might get away with that for a round or two. But in the conference finals or like the NBA finals, you're not going to get away with that. So, yeah, they were the only remaining undefeated team until... Monday, um, got back-to-back losses. We were talking about how how Milwaukee was going to catch up to them. They're tied for they're tied for second at five and two. Um, but they have to diversify their offense at the end of the day because an unpredictable offense is something a defense can't really guard. And Boston has the talent to go all the way and win this thing. But they got to play smart. I, I got to be honest with you, Cage. I agree with you 100%. We, we, we will probably cry that to the cows come on. We'll probably do a live, a live reaction to a Celtics game this year if it's against the Raptors or if it's against a neutral team for us, maybe Philadelphia. I'll say Philadelphia neutral, but I know it's another team, for example, we'll do probably do the same thing for the Raptors. As again, you and I are fans. Well, you'll probably work in the Raptors game, but hopefully we'll pick an away game where you're not working a Leafs game that night so we can try to get something done. Um, but mm-hmm. I did watch the end of the Minnesota Celtics game. I didn't get a chance to watch the Philadelphia game yesterday because I was working doing a, a hockey broadcast, but I did watch the end of the Minnesota Timberwolves versus Boston Celtics. And I couldn't remember when it was, Kate. It was the end of the fourth quarter or the end of overtime. And it was the end of overtime. So let me tell you this sequence. So the Celtics, so it came into overtime tied 101-101, okay? Mm-hmm. They trade baskets, and then Carl Anthony Towns fouls out, fouling Jason Tatum. He hits both free throws. So Celtics are up 105-103 with basically four minutes left in overtime. So Carl Anthony Towns is fouled out. You're up by two. They get the ball. Anthony Edwards misses the shot. Then a very next shot. Porzingis rebounds it. Then he gives it to Tatum. And Tatum and Edwards have a jump ball. 
or at least they have they have a battle for possession. Tatum loses the ball. So that's a turnover. They go down. Mike Conley hits a 25-footer. They go up by one with the three ball. Okay, no worries. Turnovers happen, right? Next possession. Mm. Offensive foul against Jalen Brown. Another turnover. Timberwolves go down the floor. Anthony Edwards hits it. So now they're up by three. Celtics went up. The Celtics started at up by two. They're now down by three. I'm looking at my television like, okay, you get two timeouts in overtime, Cajun. Where's the timeout by Joe Mazzula? Where's the timeout there? Okay, that's that's the first question. Yeah, now next I know possession, what you're talking about. Next, next possession, Drew Holiday misses the layup. Gobert rebounds it, pass oh, outlet, outlets it to out. Before I butcher that word again, he outlets it to Anthony Edwards, 22 footer, pull up J, bang, 110-105. I'm still making timeout in my my living room, Cajun, going timeout. What are we doing? Timeout. Literally, the last four possessions have been horrible. Guess what? Still no timeout. Tatum goes down the other way, misses a three ball, rebounded by Gobert, gets the ball to Anthony Edwards. They score again. So in from a, from the four-minute mark of overtime to the minute-and-a-half mark of overtime, it went from 105-103 Celtics to 112-105 Timberwolves, and the game was out of reach for the Celtics. That's how quickly the game ended. And it's because Joe Missoula, in my mind, didn't take a timeout three different times when he should have. I thought when Brown got the offensive and Edwards hits that pull-up, Jay, take a timeout. One possession mm-hmm. game, take your timeout, get your team set, get a ch- runs a play, get a three, get a quick basket, get some momentum, get, get, get something going. Okay, you don't want to call it there? That's fine. When Holiday misses the layup, and they score the next basket, and they go up by two possessions. Timeout. The crowd is into it. They're on you, you know? Every basket's making the crowd go bananas. They're, every turnover's making the crowd go bananas. Take a timeout, Joe. Don't be scared to try to stop it. Be like, you know what? No, we, we, want, we want our second. Take our timeout. You get two. You get two. Why didn't you use one of them? Like, I, I, I don't get it, and I still don't get it, and the Celtics, I'm not going to say lose because of Joe Mazzulla. I, I, I don't think that's true, but again, young coach making a young mistake, and that's something I hope Joe Mazzulla does learn from and think, you know what, I should have taken a timeout there somewhere in that sequence, somewhere in that, in, in those multi-baskets, I believe that's what, three straight, four straight, four straight baskets, three straight by Edwards to pull Timberwolves away and ultimately win the overtime and win the game. I wish one of those baskets would have went in and Joe Mazzullo would go take timeout. We we want a break. We, we need a break. We need a reset. Take a timeout. I hope he learned from mm-hmm. that mistake because that's obviously a mistake. One of those baskets, I'm thinking when Edwards hits the, the J to make it 108-105 is when I take a timeout. But the moment they go up by two possessions cage, you're yelling timeout because now you have to hit your next shot. There is no miss. Mm-hmm. You miss, the game's probably over. Unless you get a turnover. So, you know, that also did really kind of grind my gears in that game. But no matter. Um, hopefully the Celtics can turn it around in their upcoming schedule. Or, as we should say in Canada, schedule. As they play the Nets 
tomorrow at at home in Boston. So that'll be hopefully a improved effort from the Celtics to try to regain the top spot in the Eastern Conference. Now we're going to do something I've, keep, I've kept talking about. We're going to talk about some college ball. Well, we're going to start with the women's side of college ball because opening night was a doozy. Lots of ranked teams in action. South Carolina beat Notre Dame. Six beats 10, 171. So big win for the Gamecocks. USC fights, plays, or plays Ohio State. 21 beats 7. So USC beats Ohio State, 83-74. Lots of ranked teams. Almost every ranked team is in action opening night, November 6th. And then the bombshell went off. The 20th-ranked Colorado Buffaloes beat the LSU Tigers, the number one team in the nation, the number one-ranked team coming into this year, the reigning NCAA national champions of March Madness, lose 92-78. And not a great game for Angel Reese, not a great game for Haley Van, uh, Van Lith, and... You know, some early growing pains for an LSU team that everyone expects, I'd say including myself, but definitely you'd think are favorites to go at least back to the Final Four this year. I mean, like, I think that game literally just, literally, there's two words to describe that championship hangover. And also, you've got to understand, they got a target on their backs now. After winning the first, I believe it was the first national title in franchise history. Yeah, like first, 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 first title ever for the women's program down on the bayou. There's going to be a, there's going to be a target on your back, especially since they got Anissa more on Haley Van Lith transfers. There's a target on your back, and you're going to get everybody's best shot. And I think this was a taste of humble pie for LSU. Now, Frida Foreman, obviously, if you when you make seven threes, chances are, chances are, if you're shooting that well, you're going to win. You're going to win the game more than likely. But there's just a couple of, and Colorado just shot the lights out from the field, the field, and didn't help the LSU coughed up the ball quite a bit, and this is this is a wake up. This should be a wake up call for LSU. They should know that nothing's. Nothing easy is going to be handed to them. And that going back to back is going to be tough because before, at least, there was kind of like a goal to play for. There was like sort of a goal to play for, and you never won a national title in program history. You're trying to be the first to do that. Okay, now you've done that. Now what? Now what's your motivation? Now what's your motivation to play the same way you did last season? 
And I think LSU's got to figure that out and quickly. Because that, what? Because to me, it to me that game just screamed championship hangover to me. Well, Cage, your team is looking to get back at the championship for the first time since 2016. At least winning the NCAA championship is UConn getting a bunch of their players back as he, um, as he fud. And of course, Paige Buker is getting her first basket in over 500 days tonight after her ACL tear and I believe a re-tear last season. So Paige Bu- uh, uh, Becker's finally back on the floor as he fud back on the floor and Canadian. I believe it would be Aaliyah Edwards out of Kingston had 23 and led the way for the Huskies who crushed Dayton. And again, UConn, number two team in the nation. They're going to be number one in the nation because of LSU's loss already this season to an to a ranked opponent regardless. But UConn's going to jump them for sure with their big win. And I got to say, I got to be honest, Cajun, what I love about women's college basketball, what the one thing that I truly love about it is all the best teams play the best teams. You never really mm-hmm. see the best teams not play top competition out of conference like you see in the men's game specifically, like especially in college football. But regardless, I'll say even for basketball, you don't see a lot of the top programs scheduling each other wanting to go at it unless they're already preconceived rivalry. The only team that really does it is the Bulldogs and Gonzaga in Spokane because they have to, because their conference is so bad. They have to play ranked teams at a conference or they're never going to be a good, they're never going to be a ranked team and they're never going to be prepared to go to the tournament because their conference is not as good as other top divisions like the Big Ten, like the Pac-12, like the the Big East, like the Big 12, etc. But a game going on tonight, Cage, that I do want to highlight, that I might try to watch depending on what, what my night looks like, two ranked games with meaning ranked versus ranked teams. Number 11, Tennessee, the Volunteers take on the Seminoles out of Florida State. And I believe that's in Tallahassee taken on. Yes, it is in Tallahassee against Florida State. And then the big one, Cage, the Iowa Hawkeyes take on the Virginia Tech Hokies in Virginia. They go, or pardon me, it's actually neutral site. It's in Charlotte, North Carolina. So a neutral site between the Virginia Tech Hokies, number eight in the nation, versus the number three, Caitlin Clark-led Iowa Hawkeyes. That is going to be a great game between two teams that probably right now are looking at national championship hopes, including the Hokies. Like That's going to be a great game at 8 p.m. tonight that I'm probably going to try to watch if I can find it. And I guess... And I guess I, you just highlighted a point. Like the best teams play against each other, and the beauty about this season that you got that you still got LSU in the mix, reigning national champions, even though the loss that they had was quite bad to Colorado. Um, still a ranked team in fairness. Still a ranked team in fairness, yes. Um, then you got Iowa and Caitlin Clark. Um, then Virginia, uh, Virginia Tech. 
And now UConn's back in the mix. And of course, you this still got South a... Carolina. You still got Mississippi State. Yeah. South Carolina, of course, coached by great Don Staley. Like, lots of great women's programs that are going to be looking at LSU and thinking, what do you want what they got? And they're and looking at that, Charles is like, okay, they're very beatable. And I can't wait to see how this all unfolds because... Let's be real, Spencer. Spencer's more of a college basketball fanatic compared to uh, compared to me. I'm still getting we'll get into there, the college. We'll, we'll get you there. I'm still trying to get into the college basketball scene, but man, the, this season's this season's going to be exciting. Very exciting on the women's side and the men's side. Again. To mention, we I just met talked to you about all the co- ranked versus ranked games. There hasn't been one yet in the men's pool yet, just yet. But that still has not meant any upsets. So with a litany of ranked teams playing unranked teams, and some of the ranked games coming up with some big tournament games in the in the preseason tourneys, basically. Um, as I look quickly through to make sure that I am not telling a lie, which I am not. There are no ranked on ranked teams. The opening night. But with that, the number four ranked Michigan State Spartans, Tom Izzo Spartans, lost to James Madison. The Big Ten top team lose to a Sun Belt Conference team, 79-76 in overtime, no less. The, the Spartans went one for 20 from the three-point line. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's a 5% three-point uh, three percentage in the loss to James Madison. So the Spartans had a horrible opening night. They lose. They might, they not going to necessarily fall out of the rankings, but they're going to fall pretty darn far, implying they don't find a way to win their next upcoming game, which is tonight against Southern Indiana. Another game I do want to mention, because it could mean something later down the line, is last night, FAU, Florida Atlantic University, number 10 in the nation, they beat Loyola Chicago. Why do you recognize Loyola Chicago? They have been a team consistently out uh, that have moved their way into the top 25 rankings and into the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 and have been a Cinderella story in the tournament the past couple of seasons. Not ranked this year. They lose 75-62, but Loyola Chicago is a good team. They're well coached, and they may be able to get themselves back into the rankings as this season goes on. And if they do... This shows how good FAU could be, and they were a team last year that really did make that move uh, as a team out of a big conf- out of a non-big conference that was really good and made a really deep tournament run. So, definitely could be an impressive win. And I did say I would mention some ranked on ranked games coming up. The first one of the season will be number two Duke. When they take on number 12, Arizona. When the Wildcats take on the Blue Devils down in North Carolina. So, yeah, so we'll be at Duke in Durham at Cameron. So that's going to be a rough game for the Wildcats to try to make themselves out of. Arizona has been consistently the past couple years a top-tier program. Hopefully they can come up with a result over the Blue Devils, but it's going to be tough going at Cameron because it's not an easy place to play when you got to go at Duke. Mm-hmm. But 
Again, not a whole lot of ranked games start this season in the men's pool, which, again, is very disappointing when you look at the women's side and you've got, you know, iron sharpening iron almost off the jump. And another game to mention as again, Duke in the preseason tourney with some of the top teams, they get to play ranked four Michigan State at this point. They will fall down the rankings. And that's next or this coming Tuesday, November 14th. That game's going to happen. And I believe that's at a neutral site. I believe, and it is, it'll be in Chicago at a neutral site. And then Kansas plays Kentucky, and that's the tournament. It's Michigan State, Duke, Kansas, and Kentucky. Number one, number two, number four, number 16. Kentucky being 16, Kansas being preseason number one, Duke being number two, Michigan State being number four. They all play each other in a four-team tournament. So those are going to be some great games between those four teams, whoever wins and loses those games. So there will be some great ball coming up. It's just you're going to have to wait just a little bit longer than the women's game to give it to you. You're going to have to wait a little bit longer, a little more anticipation from the men's pool than the women's pool. But I'm telling you, if you got time tomorrow afternoon, 8 p.m. start here Eastern, and you're, you know, eating dinner or you got a bowl of ice cream and you're just thinking about scamming through channels and you can find Iowa versus Virginia Tech, it's going to be a great basketball game tomorrow between the number three and number eight teams in the nation in the women's pool. Hey, man. Can't wait to watch it. I'm going to make Cajun watch it. You know, that's, that's what I'm going to do. That's my goal for that's my goal for to, uh, for tonight is making Cajun watch that game. Not necessarily with me, but watching it in spirit with me. We can talk about it on Monday when it rolls back around to our regularly scheduled program. But we did the Scrabble board on Monday, so no Scrabble board today, Cajun. I think we got everything out, so yeah. I think I'll wrap it up. Yeah, man. That was quick. Felt quick. I believe we still went about an hour, but, you know, with us recording at such a early hour, we didn't want to wake up everybody in the household. So trying to be diplomatic, if you will. But for Cajun, Firu, Thanny Castle, I'm Spencer Bias. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you on Monday for more regularly scheduled programming of Polar Opposites here on The Outrage